Hope that you are well today. Hope that you are well. Um, well, you are the fortunate few who are not on vacation this week, so congratulations to you. Um, I hope that you uh, are not upset about that. We're talking about envy today, so this ought to go well, uh, if you are jealous about that at all. And so we'll, we'll talk through that here in a moment. Uh, if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn to Psalm chapter 37. Psalm chapter 37, that's where we're going we're gonna to land today. And so what we're doing is we're kind of continuing uh, a series that we started earlier in the summer, and we broke to do Jonah, and then, uh, which was a lot of fun. I, I, at least I thought normally the preacher does. And so um, anyway, so now we're back for kind of the second part of Psalms. And so uh, when I say second part, all we've done is for the summer, we took eight Psalms and just said we want to preach through those this summer. So we're not doing all 150. Uh, we're just doing eight of those. And so we're going to do the last four uh, now. And so uh, the Psalms are kind of a, a unique book. I don't know how familiar you, you may be with the book, but, but the Psalms are pretty cool in that they just run kind of the gamut of emotions. And, they, and, and when they do, they're teaching you how to take those emotions to the Lord, either in song or prayer. Uh, lots of times these are used as great prayer aids. And so uh, they're really helpful in that. But there's a lot um, and, and so when I say run the gamut, there's a lot of times they're wanting to teach us something. There's a lot of times they're uh, kind of expressing lament that we may have. And so this, t t this psalm today would be classified as a wisdom psalm. But um, a Puritan writer by the name of Richard Sibbs, he said this about the psalms. He said, they are, the, they are the anatomy of a holy man, which lay the inside of him outward for all to see. If the scriptures be compared to a body... The Psalms would be the heart. They are so full of sweet affections and passions. For in other portions of Scripture, God speaks to us. But in the Psalms, holy men speak to God and their own hearts. And I just think that's a really uh, cool way to describe what's happening in the Psalms. And so today we're going to talk about envy, that, that emotion, that action of envy and how the Lord would speak to that today and how we can then begin to kind of speak to our own hearts, but also speak to the Lord in those things and follow him rightly. And so what we're going to talk about maybe more specifically is worrying ourselves with evildoers by envying their temporary successes. And so it's, it's possible a lot that we could look upon the world today and look at people who are doing things all the wrong ways and yet it seems like they're succeeding and our lives are just kind of flailing about and so uh, we want to talk about how to handle those things but before we do I just want to pray that the Lord be with us now as we open his word and um, yeah Heavenly Father we love you and we are thankful for your word the very uh, the, the very words of your breath on these papers and so Lord we ask that you would Open our hearts now to receive your word. Open our eyes and our minds to, to see and to, to understand your word. And uh, Lord, help our hearts to be fertile soil. Lord, that these words would land on our hearts and bear fruit in our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. So the text just kind of starts real quick. It just kind of comes out with what it's after, what it's hoping to do in us. And so I'm really only going to look at verses 1 through 11 today. It's a, it's a psalm of 40 verses, and there's a lot in there. Uh, and so, but I want to focus in today on 1 through 11. But, but just uh, here's verse 1. It says, Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers. 
And, and so, in other words, what it's saying is when wicked people seem to be doing well, seem to be getting ahead, don't let it get under your skin, right? But also, don't desire to be like them. And so, this is a real temptation for us today. As it, and it's the same as it was for David in 10th century B.C. It's a real temptation because bad people sometimes look happy. Sometimes they look successful. Sometimes it looks like they've got everything in the world uh, that we would want. And so therefore, we end up wishing we could be like them. We obey God, maybe, and we're, we're trying to follow Him, maybe. But, but then in, in, in light of all those things that we're seeing in the world, we start to ask, like, where has this gotten me? Where has this obedience to God gotten me? I, I don't look like them. I'm not, I'm not doing as well as them. And, and people who, and we'll say things like people who don't even concern themselves with obedience to God seem to be doing way better than we are. Seem to be getting ahead way quicker than we do. Seem to be prospering. You see, envy blossoms when we want what we don't have and we have what we don't want. Envy begins to take root in our hearts. And so being a Christian at times can seem like it's not paying off. Like, man, what is all this for? In fact, I've just invited more suffering into my life, not less. And so we become envious of wrongdoers. So I'll give you a few examples. As children, we wish that we had maybe the same kinds of toys or, or clothes or the relaxed rules or the parents that our spoiled and manipulative friends may have. We're envious of wrongdoers. As teenagers, we begin comparing ourselves to other people who are our age. Well, specifically, the ones who maybe are the most popular, the ones who seem to really be getting ahead, like that guy who seems to uh, date whatever girl he wants or that girl who seems to have all the attraction of the guys. And so we end up envious of wrongdoers. As adults, we, we watch the ones who, who get ahead in their career by, by walking over people or by simply dealing unethically in their business ventures. The, they have the extra home, the extra car, maybe a boat or a motorcycle, but why not both, right? And we wish to be like them. We're envious of evildoers. But maybe you're here today and you're married and your marriage isn't going so well. And so you've got a lot of friends who have easily divorced without biblical grounds. And then they remarry because they want to be happy. And so you look on them and you're like, man, I, I want to be happy too. Why can't I just throw this marriage in the garbage? We're envious at times of evildoers. I'll stop there with those examples for time's sake, but we could go on probably for hours. Like I could ask you, in what ways do you see that we're envious of evildoers in the world today as Christians? Because envying the wicked is a very real temptation. That This isn't some hypothetical issue. This isn't something that just kind of maybe exists. This exists and it exists. Its home is in our hearts. Like, like it's in our hearts. And there's lives on the line because of it. And so Psalm 37 is important for us today. Let me read to you verses 1 through 3. It says, Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers. For they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. 
And so today, if, you, if you're taking notes there in your worship guide, you can, you can write this down uh, there at the top. Do not envy the dying wicked. Instead, trust in the Lord and live forever. Do not envy the dying wicked. Instead, trust in the Lord and, and live forever. Now, far from envying the wicked, we ought to view them with horror and aversion. They, they ought to be someone that we don't want to be like. Our nature is so prone to fret, meaning we're constantly and just kind of visibly agitated over worry and anxiousness, anxiousness towards evildoers. When we see evildoers kind of sailing across the calm seas and then we, we look the other direction and then we see obedient people who, who are sailing across a raging sea, we're, we're just so prone to this idea that it's not right. Like, this isn't right. It should not be the way things are. And so we'll get all worked up over it. We begin to fret. We begin to worry. You see, envy warps our perception. It, it changes reality. We begin to perceive things that aren't real. It lies to us. It tells us that, that those people are succeeding and we're the ones failing. That, that we're the ones that are going to, that our end is destruction. But Psalm 37 comes to us in the heat of the moment and it says, not so fast. Th things aren't as they appear. Soon, evildoers will be destroyed. Just trust in the Lord. The destruction of the ungodly will be quick. It will be like grass under a lawnmower. Evildoers will be cut down. And like the cut grass laying in the yard, the names of the wicked will rot. We, we, it, it's not worth fretting over them. They're not worth the time in that way of envying them. So what do we do? How then do we respond when we look upon the evil world and we say, man, I wish I had those things. Like, I wish that was my life. What's the way that we respond? Well, we respond by trusting the Lord. We fight envy by trusting in the Lord. We, we look to the Lord. He is our hope. He is the anchor of our souls, as Hebrews says. Friends, if you are a believer in Christ, then you have an incorruptible and living seed within you. And it lives and abides in and with Christ forever in His glory. Nothing and no one can take that away from you. Why then? Why then should we envy mere flesh and its glory? Trusting in the Lord cures vain fretting. It cures it because it allows us or walks us into following the Lord rather than the times. Rather than looking out across our times and saying, man, it would just be better to like follow my heart in this situation. It would be far easier to go the way of the wicked in that business decision, to not buck the system, to not buck my boss in that. And to just let unethical procedures continue. It would be easier on me to do that. It would be easier to turn a blind eye to evil. Maybe even to become evil. It does seem that evil is the majority of the day, does it not? I'm sure we could find more acceptance. At least what we would think would be more acceptance. 
And so we fight envy by trusting in the Lord. Trusting in the Lord does cure this vain fretting. It allows us to follow Him. And the promise to those who trust in the Lord is this. You will dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. If you will trust in the Lord, you will dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. So while the wicked wanders around in the wilderness looking for satisfaction, looking for something sufficient for their desires, the faithful dwell in the promised land of content and rest until we reach Christ's glory either by death or His return. Therefore, I just say again, do not envy the dying wicked, rather trust in the Lord and live forever. How? How then are we to trust in the Lord? Well, I think the psalm lays out at least three things here in these first 11 verses that I want to to share with you. One is we trust in the Lord by delighting in Him. Let's look at verse 4. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your hearts. Delighting in Him. As you delight in the Lord, you desire what He desires. Ergo, you receive those things. You you begin to get those things. It's it's the same as when Jesus commands us to ask whatever we wish in His name and it will be given to us. When you ask something according to the name of Christ, you ask it according to His will and His desires. That's what it means in His name. It doesn't mean that if I pray for a Mercedes in Jesus' name, I'm going to get a Mercedes. Or if I pray for a million dollars in Jesus' name, that I'm going to win the lottery tomorrow. That's just, that's just not what it means. What it means is that when we desire the things that the Lord desires and we ask for those things, we receive those things. So here in Psalm, as we're delighting in the Lord, He gives us the desires of our heart. Some say this verse has a double meaning. And one, that it hit, He literally gives you the desire of your heart. Like the desires that are in you, He places right desires there. And so therefore, He fulfills those desires. He grants those desires to come to pass. He makes those happen. I don't have a problem with those ideas. But what we see as we we look out into the world is that evil men delight in worldly things. Like that is their delight. And so they run like Solomon and Ecclesiastes from one thing to the next, never finding fulfillment, never finding satisfaction, never finding anything sufficient for their desire. Like it's just an an insatiable desire. It it can't be fulfilled. And and so they run from one thing to the next. And we see that today. We we see this today. I've done this in my own life with hobbies. I know my wife rolls her heads when I come home with a new hobby idea. <laughs> it, it, I've, I've done this just looking for like happiness and kind of rest and some peace in different places, never finding it until I come to the Lord. And then all those other things take their rightful place. They just become fun ways to rest and play and to glorify the Lord. And so, evil men delight in worldly things. And so, what the, what the Bible is telling us, what Psalm 37, David is saying here, do not envy them if they're allowed to take their fill on vain idols. Like, this is a temporary happiness that's taking place before us. We need to understand the temporariness of life. 
that we are fleeting, that we are like vapors, that we are like grass that, that fades and withers. Like time is just, is quick. I mean, you can, you can look at your own life now and think, gosh, I, I remember just yesterday when I was 12, <laughs> right? And before that, when I was five, starting school. I could just go so quick. I can look at my kids. We're in the middle of birthday apocalypse in my home. We have a, a May, June, and July birthday all about eight weeks apart. So we could just affectionately refer to this as birthday apocalypse. And so all of all three of my oldest kids are like changing ages right now. I'm like, I'm not cool with this all happening at the same time. But you can look into our life and tell when Patricia and I were most bored. So there you go. And so... God is saying here that we shouldn't look to the look at the evildoers who are getting their fill on vain idols in this temporary life and say, God, I wish that was me. Like, why can't that be me? Why, why can't what they have be mine? Instead, what he's saying is. Ephesians 5 says this, it says, Do not be drunk on wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. So, so far from envying the wicked, we ought to pity them. Our, our heart must break for them as they find their fill on worldly things, only to be left unfull. And so when we read a, a, a scripture like, Do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit, what the Bible is teaching us is, don't fill yourself up on things that cause a temporary happiness. We could insert, do not be drunk on hobbies. Do not be drunk on relationships. Do not be drunk on your jobs. Do not be drunk on success. Do not be drunk on your marriage. Blah, blah, blah. But be filled with the Holy Spirit. All of those things will leave you thirsty. But when you're full of the Spirit of God, when you're dwelling in the Lord, you're abiding in Him, resting in Him, coming to Him day after day with all of your neediness and brokenness, you become full. The way to being filled is to admit to God that I am not full and I need you. It's not to pour more crap down our throats and think, man, this is going to work. It's just not. And so far from envying the wicked, we, we ought to pity them. Like, their end is death. If not for repentance, if not for a change of heart that the Holy Spirit does within them as we preach the gospel to them, as we share the good news of the Lord, their end is death. Isn't it bizarre that we'll look upon evildoers and the wicked of the world and say, man, I wish I was like them, when we have the very presence of God living inside of us by His Holy Spirit, making us alive to Christ, that we would be dead to the things of this world and alive to Him only. Like, it's insane. But I'm as guilty at this as any of you may be. It's just so stinking easy to look out into the world because we see those things, right? They're tactile. We can touch them. We can know them. The Bible says the things that are eternal are unseen, while the things that are seen are transient. They're fading away. They don't last. We've got to learn to redirect our gaze 
to the Lord by trusting in Him, delighting in Him. There's no room for fretting when we see that the Lord is ours. When we begin to understand that, our hearts are just more calm. We're more at peace. Trust in the Lord by delighting in Him. The second thing I see in the text here is in verses 5 through 6. It's commit your way to Him or committing your way to Him. This is how we trust in the Lord. It's committing your way to Him. Verse 5, commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him and He will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. So we trust in the Lord by committing your way to Him. This, this means that you should like roll the whole, the, like the burden of your whole life upon the Lord. Not just the vain fretting, right? Not just the fretting part, but like the burden of life, we should roll that onto the Lord. Not only your fretfulness. We, we are to trust in the Lord by committing our way to Him and trust that He will act. Like we, we leave the results up to Him. We're saying we commit ourselves to You, Lord. Here's my life. Take it. All of it. I'm not going to keep... I'm not going to have just a, the pieces separated here. I'm not going to segregate my life out. I'm giving you my whole life. You take it. I'm committing it to you. I'm going to trust you with the results. This is what the psalm is getting after. Take the the farmer, for example. The farmer commits himself to prepare the land, to plant the seed, and to keep watch, whatever that may entail, right? But his trust is in the Lord for the results. Because the farmer doesn't possess the power to make it rain. He doesn't possess the power to make the sun shine. He doesn't possess the power to provide shade when that's needed. Or to make the seeds ultimately bear fruit. His trust is in the Lord. Now in the same way, Christians cannot control what may or may not happen in the lives of other people. We don't get to control what we think is fair or unfair. It's often that I've learned this, that in not having all the things I can look into the world and say, man, I want that, that in not getting that, what the Lord is doing in me is creating a contentment that is in Christ alone and nothing else. Like, Like He's working in me a way to find hope in Him only. And I'm not going to trade that for a second home, a boat, a motorcycle. Like, like my faith in the Lord is not worth anything in this world. That the work that He's doing in my life is priceless. It bears weight in eternity. And so we, we may not control what may or may not happen in the lives of others, but we do control what we do with our lives, what we do with our way. Do we commit our way to the Lord or are we committing our way to becoming more like the world? We must trust in the Lord by committing all of our way to Him. Trust that He will act. And so maybe we ask, and I think what the psalm is getting at here, what about when evildoers like slander us, or they mock us, they laugh at us, they ridicule us? What are we to do then? Surely we do something. Well, verse 6, let me read it to you again. It says, He will bring forth your righteousness as the light, and your justice as the noon day. 
So though they may laugh, though they may slander, though they may mock us and ridicule us, the Lord laughs at the wicked for he sees their day coming, as we see in verse 13. It says, but the Lord laughs at the wicked. He sees that his day is coming. And, and so we're to trust in the Lord that he will act. He'll bring about our righteousness. Therefore, the promise is this. If you will trust in the Lord, he will act on your behalf. He, he will drive away the darkness of sorrow, the darkness of a bad reputation with the world. 1 Peter 2.15 says this, says, For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. So we trust in the Lord. We do good. We delight ourselves in the Lord. We commit our way to the Lord. We know that He will act. And trust in the Lord by committing your way to Him. The final thing I want to look at is, is that we trust in the Lord by waiting patiently for Him. We wait patiently for Him. Let's look at verses 7 through 11. It says, Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in His way, over the man who carries out evil devices, Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It tends only to evil. For the evildoer shall be cut off. But those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. And just a little while the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace." And too often, we're, we're so concerned with, with making sure that the unjust receive a just punishment that we fail to trust the sovereign hand of the Lord who is telling us right here, right now, that He will execute justice at the right time. We can be sure of that. Like we fret and we worry and we plot against evil when actually we are commanded to be still before the Lord, to wait on the Lord. Charles Spurgeon said, a silent tongue not only shows a wise head, but a holy heart. A silent tongue not only shows a wise head, but a holy heart. He, he went on to say about this idea of waiting patiently on the Lord, that time is nothing to the Lord. Therefore, let it be nothing to you. The sovereign hand of the Lord is worth waiting for. In, in a story or in a movie, we, we get caught up in the plot, right? But we wait to the end for the plot to clear up. We're not, we're not rushing it. We're not fast-forwarding. We're not turning pages just to read the end of the book. If you, if you do, then sure. But typically, <laughs> normal people aren't doing those things. So the, the Lord is commanding us to do the same now. He's saying, let the wicked succeed. Treat the matter with indifference. Never question the righteousness and the goodness of the Lord. Do not get angry, it says. When it says do not get angry, it's saying don't be angry at the Lord's providence, at the way things are playing out. Second Peter, uh, Peter deals with this in Second Peter is in, in chapter 3, verse 9, as is, is people are kind of questioning what they would call the slowness of God to exact justice in the world. He says the world... Uh, sorry, he says the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, 
not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. See, this should be the posture of the heart of the Christian. Rather than rushing towards judgment, rushing towards evil to be blotted out, which we, we do hope for and we do wait patiently for, we know this is coming, but in the meantime, in the meantime, there ought to be compassion about our lives. Like we, we ought to also wish for their repentance. We ought to work toward that end by sharing the gospel with them. By revealing what, what, what their life will end up like. And so if you're here today and you're thinking, man, I've just kind of lived life the way I want to live life. I've just gone about it how and the ways that I want to. Seems to be working out okay for me. Friend, I would, I would say that that's not necessarily the grace of God on your life, but more the judgment of God on your life. That, that if you think you can go your own way and do your own thing and be your own God and everything's going to be okay, it will not end well in that final day for you. In Romans 1, when God kind of pulls back His hands from, the, from evil, Kind of, kind of lets man go and, and live according to their evil desires, it, we read it as judgment, not as grace, not as mercy. Now, His grace and mercy shows up in that you're still breathing. You're still here. You haven't faced His judgment seat yet. And so you're not too far gone. You're not too far away from the Lord to be saved today. And so salvation is for all who would call upon the Lord and believe in Him, to confess that Jesus is Lord. You can be saved from your sins today. You can be saved from being your own Lord today. You can declare that the Lord is good and righteous, and you can have His righteousness upon your life. But you cannot continue going the way you're going. And Jesus says, that if any of you wants to follow me, you must deny yourself, take up your cross. And follow me. So if you want life, it comes through denying the life that you have now and saying, I want the life that Christ has for me. So I'm going to give up my own desires. I'm going to deny myself. I'll take up my cross and follow the Lord. I, I do hope that you would do that today. One of the things we see here that we need to take note of as Christians is that fretting only leads to evil. Like, like, don't be so concerned with seemingly successful sin in others' lives that you begin to have sin in your own life. You're looking into their life, fretting over these things. It leads to evil. Trust in the Lord. Wait patiently for Him. Justice will have its day. The wicked will soon be cut off from the land. And the ones who, who are trusting in the Lord and are waiting for Him, those are the ones who will inherit the land. In other words, what, what the Bible is telling us, what, it, what God is laying before us today is don't get so messed up over the rewards that people are receiving on earth. Over the common graces that are extended to all mankind. Don't get so messed up about that because your divine reward is coming in the next life. Where you will dwell eternally with the Lord in His glory. 
See, God is waiting until the afterlife to fully display his distinction between the faithful and the wicked. But he will fully display it. In John Bunyan's work, Pilgrim's Progress, he introduces us to to two characters there. One of them's name was Passion, the other Patience. Now, Passion, man, he got it all in this life. He had all his good things first. But but his life was like a bottle rocket, right? It was real exciting for a moment, and then it just blew up. All those things were soon over, but Patience... Patience, man, his life was difficult. It it was hard. It was a tough road. But he got some good things in the last. And the thing about those good things is they last forever. Let us be more like patience than like passion. Waiting on the Lord. Trusting in the Lord. The the glitter of the wicked in the world today is but fool's gold. You'll be disappointed. So do not envy now one who will soon be dust. The Bible tells us that his place will be utterly blotted out. That his high office, his large home, his big bank account, not that those things are all sinful, I'm not saying that. I'm saying if he achieved those things through sin and we're looking at him saying, I want to be like him, we need to understand that those things are not going to save him. But what saves us is a faith in Christ Jesus. Finally, the text lays on us at the end that above all others, the meek, the humble, will enjoy life. That the meek, the humble, will inherit the land, meaning they will obtain the covenant promises and salvation of the Lord. An abundance of peace is greater than an abundance of gold. And the way up, as we see here, is down. But the way up with the Lord is to humble ourselves before Him. The way up in the world is to make yourself big in the world. And in the coming of Christ, when peace makes glad the earth. The full meaning of these words in Psalm 37 will become clear to us. Augustine has this great illustration about looking at stained glass. If you've ever been close to a stained glass window, if you get real close to a stained glass window like here, all you can see are these little broken, jagged pieces, right? And they're just all different colors, and when you're looking at it like this, it's, it just looks like a mess. But as you get further and further away from it, as you back yourself up to see the beauty of the stained glass picture, it all becomes clear what all those little pieces mean. The same is true for this life. The Bible tells us that we see now in a mirror that is dimly lit, but one day all things will become clear that we'll begin to see with clarity what the Lord has been doing all this time. So trust in the Lord by waiting patiently for Him. In Hebrews 11, the great chapter there of stories about the faith of the Old Testament saints, we read this. It says, These all died in faith, 
not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus, who say that they're strangers and exiles on the earth, they make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. Now don't miss this. It goes on to say, if they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out. So if they looked back and thought, man, I long to go back to that. I long to live like the evildoers in this world. I long to be identified with them. It says that they could have done so. They would have had the opportunity to return. But as it is, and let this be our story, as it is, they desire a better country. That is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared for them a city. Wow. The the problem of the human heart is fretting. It's envying the successes of evildoers. Christians are then given this superior alternative. That if you will trust the Lord by delighting in Him, committing your way to Him, waiting patiently for Him, then you will gain eternal life with the Lord now and soon in His glory. And as a believer, this world is not your final resting place. It's not your final home. You are a sojourner on your way to a better land, a heavenly one. Therefore, trust in the Lord. Trust in Him. He is not ashamed to be called your God. And He's prepared a new home for you. Final thing I want to share with you is that the Lord knows our fallen nature. He knows that we're prone to envy the wicked. But He also knows that we're prone to be all kinds of wickedness ourselves. And so He solves it in Himself. So the beautiful, the beautiful thing about our God is that He is just and justifier. Look at this, Romans 3, 23-26. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God put forward as a propitiation, as a substitute by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance, He had passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So let us trust in the Lord. Amen? Would you stand to your feet this morning? If you are an unbeliever in here, I, I do thank you for being here today. I made my appeal to you a moment ago. I'll reiterate that you can come to the Lord today and find rest for your souls. That you can come to the Lord today and receive living water. That you can never thirst again. All your vain strivings, all your vain idols will soon rot. 
but the Lord and His righteousness will stand forever. And so He is available to you today. I'm asking you that you would place your faith in Jesus Christ and be saved from your sins. If you're a believer in here, fellow Christians, this text today really lays on us. It's written to Christians. It's, it's written to believers that we would not be found guilty of looking on the world with envy, saying, man, I wish I had it like they did. But to understand who we are and whose we are and that all of that is far superior, far greater than anything else this world has to offer. And so today, I just want to invite you, if there is this, this thing in your life, this inkling, this desire for the things of this world, please don't toy around with that thing. Kill it today. Kill it through confession and prayer. Confess it to the Lord. Ask for His help. Ask for Him to strengthen you, to take those desires away from you. Plead with Him to do this. And you may think, now, it's not really that big of a deal, Kyle. I understand. Nothing ever starts as a big deal. It just takes a little bit of, a little bit of wondering. A little wondering here, a little wondering there, and before we know it, we're in the wilderness. I'm asking you now, commit your way to the Lord. Trust Him today. Confess those things to Him. And then rest in His righteousness. It's okay to fail. You're not ever going to get it right 100% of the time. But Christ did. He covers you today. I invite you to do that now as we sing. I'll be down here to pray with you if you want to pray with me. Or you can pray where you're at. Spend, spend a moment with the Lord. I'll be back in a second.